0: Now, um, it wouldn't surprise you if this week we focus on confession of sin and forgiveness, right? Because it's a good thing to focus on after last week, right? And so let's read together the Lord's Prayer and then what Jesus says afterwards. He gives the Lord's Prayer and then right afterwards he gives an exhortation. All right? So, and my mother is here. If you want to know who my mother is, the one that rebuked me. They know you intimately because I always talk about you. That's my mother. We call her mud. I'd ask you to raise your hand, but despite me, you would refuse to. (laughs) All right. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For. And so here we get the exhortation following the prayer. For. If you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you know that different churches pray the Lord's Prayer in different ways. Some say debts and debtors, and some say transgressions and those who transgress against us. And there's no difference, really. Or no, no, (laughs) forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Thank you. And there's not really any difference. Um, Luke says, forgive us our sins. Matthew says, debts and debtors. Uh, The Book of Common Prayer says trespasses. All of them essentially mean the same thing. Trespass means a false step. And the word debt is the word normally used in Aramaic for sin. So regardless of what word we use, we're dealing with man's failure to live by God's standard. The absence of our conformity to God's character, which we know by God's law. Either in doing what he has told us not to do or in our failing to do what he has told us to do. So James 4.17 says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Tim Keller is right in saying that within the church, many of us are tempted to be the elder brother and to be moralists and legalists. And moralists and legalists are very scrupulous in neg- in, in repudiating and being careful not to do the things that God prohibits, but to pass entirely over the things that God commands. Does this make sense to you? And so, you know, if it says don't commit adultery, we don't commit adultery, but if it says to give to the poor, we have all these reasons why we shouldn't give to the poor. And if we realize that we're sinning by not giving to the poor, we have all these reasons to excuse a sin of omission, and taking very seriously sins of commission. Are you with me? So, for instance, in Ephesians, it says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, right? We all know that statement of scripture, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. And a good Bible-believing Christian in America today will listen very carefully to that, and then completely neglect the next statement that is made immediately have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. (laughs) Expose them. Uh Uh-uh, not the kid. I'm going to be scrupulous in having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but it's the pastor's job to expose them, right? Right? Isn't that what pastors are paid to do? To expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. But then you come in my office... And I expose your sin? And, ho, ho, ho. apparently, that command never should be obeyed. Because you tell me that it's just not your job, it's my job. And then when I try to do it with you, you tell me, well, no, do it with, you know, Barack Obama. You know, do it with Hollywood. You know, at least use Facebook. You know, do it from the pulpit. But even there, don't do it the first few Sundays when the students are coming, because then they won't come back. And don't do it in the office. Don't do it in person, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so we're masters at the sins of omission while being scrupulous with the sins of commission. We're masters at neglecting or being careful not to do things that make us plainly and obviously sinners, while being very, very good at neglecting to do the things that make us plainly and obviously righteous. As a, for instance, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Not me. That's your job, pastor. And then I try to do it, and I get punished. The premise is, we're very good at avoiding sins of commission, but we're terrible when it comes to sins of omission. We think that it doesn't matter to God whether we're righteous, whether we're pure, whether we're holy, whether we're merciful. And it really doesn't matter to God whether or not we forgive. And that's what I want to focus on today, is that God takes very seriously this petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Two commands, we are to confess our sins to God, and we are to forgive the sins of others against us. Now, let's start with the confession of our sin. You get tired of hearing it, but I want you to think of farmers and I want you to think of doctors because in America today, the expectation of pastors is that they will be completely ineffective, that they'll be chaplains instead of pastors. And so think of pastors Being farmers, this last week my mother and I were coming down from Chicago and we stopped at at Fair Oaks Farm. Any of you done the tour at Fair Oaks Farm? Fantastic. It's worth three and a half hours up and three and a half hours back to have an hour of the tour. Trust me. And so you go through this tour and one of the things you see is they take you into this little room overlooking a turntable on which 73 cows are rotating. All right. And you're looking down from above, and as the cows go by, they're being milked. It takes about eight minutes for them to make the cycle. Some of them have to go around twice because they're slow milkers, right? All right. And as you look at it, you'll see a computer monitor. It's a weird one, but it's in between every cow. And on that computer monitor, they're downloading from uh, the, whatever it is that's on the cow the information about the cow, and of course the most important information is how much milk the cow's giving, right? But they also download how many steps that cow has taken every day. And so this particular farm has between 30 and 35 cows, 1,000 cows, excuse me, (laughs) 35,000 cows, all right? And they're keeping track of how many steps the cows take every day. Because how many steps the cow takes is an indication of the cow's health. So one cow takes, you know, three steps too few for a period of a week. And I'm sure they have a computer program. It spits the cow out and says cow number 75ABZZZZ has taken seven steps fewer every day than normal. And so they go to the cow and they say, you're not walking enough. And the cow says, how can you just come to snap judgments like that about me? I mean, all you have is numbers. Is that what I am to you, just a number? And I have cycles of steps. And it doesn't mean anything. And furthermore, bam, he kicks you. Or he steps on your foot. Or she. (laughs) Thank you, David. (laughs) And what you need to do is realize that pastors our herdsmen. We keep track of your steps. We know what your butterfat content is. We know whether it takes one or two cycles of you going around on the turntable. We know whether it's seven, eight, nine, or ten gallons a day. We know you. And so when you live among us, the elders and the pastors of the church get to know you. And Jesus says, pray like this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so you're taking seven steps fewer every day on average for a week. And we come to you and you say, you're not walking enough. And she steps on you, swats you with her tail, kicks you. And you go, what's that all about? I thought I was supposed to be a herdsman. And you say, you can't judge me by numbers. And you go, whoa. And what we know is what? What we know is that you're not confessing your sin to God. We know that you're not praying, forgive me my debts. And you say, oh, come on. You can't make snap judgments about me like that. I say, okay, I'll act as if I haven't lived for 56 years. And I haven't felt 39 million utters. And I don't know what mastitis feels like. Is that what you want? You want elders who are just like clueless. That's what a chaplain is. He's clueless. (laughs) He shows up. He's dressed well. He doesn't make an ass of himself. And you feel like you had a real good ceremony when it's all over. Is that what you want? Or do you want a pastor who's a good herdsman? Right? Jesus commands us to pray like this. Forgive us our what? Sins, trespasses, debts as we forgive those who trespass against us, our debtors. And so the first commandment is what? The first commandment is that we are to confess our sin to God. And if we don't confess our sin to God, we'll start taking fewer steps. And pretty soon the computer will spit us out. And we'll come to the attention of the pastors and elders. And they'll come to us and they'll say, well, you're not taking enough steps. And then if you kick him if you swat him, if you step on him, then he knows what? He knows that you're becoming rigid in your pride, right? I mean, this is like not rocket science, right? Any idiot, my wife says, don't ever say that. All right. Any nincompoop (laughs) knows it, right? If somebody comes to you and says there's a problem and you punch him, and you deny it, what it indicates is nothing about the person. And you say, well, actually, yes, it does. You have to earn the right to speak to me and to be an authority in my life. Like, oh, yeah, right. Okay. Okay. I have to earn the right. But you know, I've never, ever, ever seen that right come. (laughs) With the man that says that to me, I can think of one man immediately I've spent 10 years earning the right, loving him tenderly, putting the best food on the plate in front of him, overlooking his sins, hugging him, kissing him, encouraging him. But somehow, you know, he's been at my table, he's received ministry from my family, but somehow I still have no right I still haven't earned the right. I had, a, I had a physical a week ago. And the doctor, when I was in the office, was late. 45 minutes late. When he finally got in, he asked me to do something that, you know, I don't know about you, but when he told me to do it, I felt like, personally, that, you know, he had not earned the right. (laughs) Namely, to strip and to put on a gown that exposed my nether regions. Now, for you women, I'm sure that this is something that's much less significant to you. But to men... On the level of significance from little to high, it's way up there, way up there, right? And so I looked at him when he told me what to do, and I said, you have to earn the right. (laughs) Jesus says that we are to pray, forgive us our debts. And if you live with your children, with your wife, with your pastors and elders, or if you're a woman, with the tightest two women of this church who are older, in such a way that if they ask you to put on the gown, you tell them they don't have the right, they have to earn the right, and then you punch them. It's because, why? It's because you do not Confess your sin to God. Because if you confess your sin to God, what happens? What happens is you become a tender heart. That's what happens. It's very interesting. I wish I could show you a video of Mark as I'm preaching. Because Mark has spent years as a pastor. (laughs) And he's just like right there. Because he's been kicked, he's been punched. I, I don't know this, but am I right? You're right, I'm right. And then you should see the faces of the elders. Jesus says what? Jesus gives you a command to pray like this, forgive us our debts. Once again, in the last couple of weeks, I've heard a fam, family members tell me that in a, in a meeting where their father's sin was obvious, what their father said was, well, you know, it... it if you want to know what my sins are, I have sins. Period. Period. And I cannot tell you how many times I have heard from children that they have never observed their father being tender of conscience and specifically confessing his sins. Some men... And women will testify that they've never, ever, ever heard their father admit he's wrong. Even wrong. Some will say they've never had him apologize. Some will say that if he apologizes, it's typically general. And only a few will say that they've grown up with a father who has a tender conscience and confesses specific sins to his family and does it in front of other family members is as public with his asking forgiveness as he was with his sin. Now, tell me, fathers like that, do they obey Jesus saying, pray like this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Can a father who doesn't confess his sin to his, co- to his, pat- <laughs> to his congregation, a father who doesn't confess his sin to his church, to his little church on a prairie. Can a father who does not rejoice in the gift of repentance in front of the people that are most dear to him, can that man be a man who prays like this, forgive us our debts, who asks God to forgive him? I mean, after you confess your sins to God, what is your (laughs) wife? Your wife's just another sinner. God is holy. You know? Forgive us our debts. Pray like this. Forgive us our debts. The problem with the church today is that we have... Turned away from repentance and accepted the lie that repentance is something that people that don't grow up in Christian homes have to do. But people that grow up in Christian homes have earned the right not to repent. They're covenant children. And even those who have grown up in non Christian homes only have to do it once. And from then on, they have a get-out- of jail free card. They don't have to repent anymore. After all, repentance isn't a work. <laughs> and we're not saved by works; we're saved by grace. But do you remember that, by common reckoning that the Reformation started with the 95 theses being nailed to the wall of the Wittenberg Church by Martin Luther? And do you remember what the first of the 95 theses was? The very first one was when our Lord Jesus said, you must repent. He was teaching us that, how many know what comes next? Somebody say it. The life of a Christian is a life of repentance. (laughs) Or another way of saying it is, when our Lord Jesus said, you must repent, He was teaching that the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. Jesus says, pray like this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so it's the command of Jesus Christ, who we claim to love, that we're to confess our sins. My brother wrote a blog post that's at Bailey blog on the gift of confession of sin. And one of the points he makes is no confession of sin is a confession of sin. If it's just general, remember the father saying, well, if you want to know whether or not I sin, I have a lot of sins. I could tell you period specificity, none, none at all. So is that a confession of sin? No, it's a hypothetical construct. What is a confession of sin? Well, I'll tell you, speaking personally, the confession of sin is something that a man will do anything to avoid. Just like turning around in a car and admitting you've been going the wrong way. When I was a young man, as I aged... In my late teens, by God's mercy, my sins became ever more clear to me. Not because of the preaching of the word in my church, because you never heard sin from our pulpit. It was a salvation every time. Grace, 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 grace. But I had a father and I had a mother who just made my sin clear to me. I remember my mother. I remember my dad. My dad sang to me, Tim, a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. I remember my father saying over and over again, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so as I grew, my heart sin became clear to me, and it became a burden that was so heavy I couldn't bear it. I absolutely couldn't bear it. And, and then it grew. When it was unbearable, then it grew. Precisely then it grew. And so I came to the point where I thought, you know, um, no man can bear this sort of thing. And so I want to just shut down my conscience. Now, I know none of you have done this, but I did it. And so how did I shut down my conscience? Well, I shut down my conscience in the usual ways, right? I smoked dope. I was a legalist. I never bought it. I just smoked it when I got in a car. And and they they offered me a toke, right? That was that was it. I didn't buy it. Some people smoked up, some people take Valium. Some people do alcohol. Uh, but many many people go to psychologists and counselors and confess the sins of their father. And many people love money and get an MBA. And many people do sports and, and like have fantasy football clubs. And many people fish. There are many, many ways of silencing your conscience many ways of saying I cannot bear it, the burden, right? And all of them are an effort to deaden our hearts and our consciences so that we don't have to look at our sin. But for just a few people on the narrow path, God gives the gift of repentance. He makes us see that God is merciful and long suffering. He makes us hear that like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him for he knows our frame that we are made of dust. He makes us hear that, as the new fallen whiteness of the snow. So will our hearts be when he washes us. He makes us see the righteousness of Jesus as he hung on the cross. He makes us believe that the blood of Christ is sufficient for us. For me. For me. And we believe, and because we believe, we do what? Because we believe, we confess our sins specifically, and we repent. Because we have faith. And then, what does he do? He washes us. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we lie. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we're free to be a sinner. (laughs) Remember what I said last week? There's no greater freedom than the freedom to be a sinner publicly. And that is Christianity. That's to be saved. To be with Peter, where Jesus says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you shall have no part of me. And then everybody left. Everybody that was there because Jesus fed them. (laughs) When he said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood... You shall have no part in me. And everybody left. And Jesus turned to the disciples and he said, are you guys going to leave too? You ever think of Jesus having fear, being insecure? He says, are you guys going to leave too? Was he faithless at that moment? And then we see the life of faith. Because we see Peter, the big mouth, and Peter says what? Lord, who else are we going to go to? You alone have the words of eternal life. Why? Because Peter had obeyed Jesus who said, pray like this, forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors. Now, that's really interesting, isn't it? You go to Jesus and you ask him to wash you with his blood. And he ties it to your forgiveness of those who have sinned against you. And he tells you to pray, forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And so in churches around the world, for 2,000 years, people have prayed the prayer who have no forgiveness in them for their husband, for their wife, for their father, for their mother, for their pastors, for anybody, for their doctors, no forgiveness in them. And blithely, they go along and they say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who who are our debtors, as we forgive those who have trespassed and sinned again. Forgive us our debts. And all they think is, forgive us our debts. Forgive me my sins, God. God as I forgive those who have sinned against me. But it's clear from the way that the rest of the sentence comes out that there's no reality the rest of the sentence to us, isn't it? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then lead us not into temptation. So forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But you yourself have told God to forgive you only as you forgive others, right? Isn't that what you just said? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Not, and then we will forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So now at this point, we get all squirrely because we're Protestants. And we know the routine. We're masters at it. And we know that we're saved by grace alone. And we know that that sounds suspiciously like works. And so it can't be right. And so somehow our pastor has not quite exposited the text in such a way as to lift Christ high. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Come on, Tim, put me out of my discomfort. Don't look Roman Catholic. You know, don't let like, guilt trip me. You just got me ready to confess. And now you're telling me I shouldn't confess unless I'm ready to forgive somebody else. And I thought I could just come to Jesus with all my sin. And I say, yeah, go to him with your sin of bitterness and lack of forgiveness. <laughs> and then guess what? When you do that, guess what will happen? You will forgive your debtors. Jesus, I confess that I will not forgive my husband for his adultery. Would you please help me? You remember Tetzel? Tetzel's a dude that went around building the Sistine Chapel by holding people's loved ones over hell fires. And he would tell people that the minute you put a coin in the box that a soul springs free, this is what he'd go around Europe saying, started the Reformation. It was his actions in selling God's salvation so that the Sistine Chapel could be built that's started Luther thinking about it, and then he wrote the 95 Theses. So Tetzel's the dude that says that the minute a coin goes in the box, a soul springs free. The only thing is, he had it wrong. It's not when you put a coin in the box that a soul springs free. It's when you pray to God and say, Father, forgive me my debts. One of them being, I can't forgive my husband. A soul springs free. Because that's a prayer that God hears. How do we know it? Because he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you say, well, you know what? (laughs) Honestly, I can't forgive my husband. And I say, yeah, I know. That's why you prayed that. You asked him to give you the ability to confess that you are bitter against your husband. And so confess that to him with specificity as a sin. And ask him to wash you. And you say, well, you know, I really can't pray that prayer. And I say, well, why not? Is it true? Oh, yeah, it's true. Well, why can't you pray the prayer? Well, because my bitterness is precious to me. I've learned to live in such a way that bitterness is the ordering principle of my life. (laughs) I go, oh, you're so nasty. Thank God I'm not like that. But let me point out to you that you prayed, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So if you will not ask God to take your bitterness away, you are not forgiven. And you say, wait a second, you just got Roman Catholic on me. I say, no, I didn't. I just am expositing, preaching what Jesus said. That's it. And you say, yeah, but clean it up for me, pastor, because I want to be bitter And that's the whole point of being Protestant. You know, you can be bitter. And sin that grace may abound. And you don't have to take up your cross. You don't have to die. And I say, listen, what do you want? You want a herdsman or you want a chaplain? What do you want? you say, but you haven't earned the right to speak forgiveness into my life because you have not suffered the way I have. As a matter of fact, you're the perp. I've seen the way you treat your wife. How dare you call me to forgive? I say, listen, a weasel can find countless methods of escaping. But you can't escape God because he's holy. And when Jesus said it, Jesus said it from perfection. And he made it a command, and he tells you to pray it in such a way that if you refuse to forgive your husband, you are in a prison of your own making, and you have judged yourself by praying, forgive us our debts, as forgive me, my debts as I forgive my husband who committed adultery. And he says to you, you have not forgiven your husband who has committed adultery. And you say, you have not forgiven my debts. He made it in such a way that your mouth, when you pray that prayer, is your own jury, your own judge, your own sentence, your own conviction. So think about it. In your life, where does your bitterness come from? Where does your anger come from? Whose fault is it if it's not yours? Whose fault is it? I was talking to a man last week, and I asked him, we were talking about a sin of his, and and I asked him, I said, so were you a Christian at that time? And the man's response was to say, well, no, I wasn't. And I said, well, how do you know you weren't a Christian? He said, well, at that time in my life, I never, ever took responsibility for my own sin. It was always somebody else's fault. What a beautiful description of life outside of Christ. Life without the knowledge of the cross. How more perfectly can you sum up a repudiation of Jesus who said, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And a man who never sees his own moral agency and failures in his own actions is a man who refuses to take up his cross and follow our Lord. And so, listen. Here's the commandment. Pray like this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so, you think of the failures, and I know many of you, I'm enough of a herdsman to know what's going through your mind right now. Think of the failures. And then look at yourself. Look at yourself. Look at who you are. Look at your sin. Look at the ways you have hurt other people. Look at the ways you've denied God. Look at how bad a mother you are. Look at how bad a father and how bad a son and daughter you are. How bad a grandma or grandpa you are. How bad an elder and pastor you are. And ask God to magnify his glory in your life. And you say, oh yeah, yeah, that's a prayer I'll do. And I'll say, okay, by showing you how wicked you are. Because when we confess our sins, God is glorified because it makes him great and us nothing. Look at who you are and then turn to your father, your mother, whoever it was that hurt you, a doctor, a pastor. Turn to them and with God as your witness, tell them why you are bitter and will not forgive them. And justify yourself. And if you know God, you won't be able to do it. Because your sin will overwhelm you so much that you will run to forgiveness with them. Because you'll tremble to think of God dealing with you the way you deal with your husband, your father, your brother. This world is very brief, and then you stand before God. And you have a very short period of time to discover, by the work of the Holy Spirit, your sin. And many of you are spending your lives discovering other people's sin. And so you don't know the forgiveness of God. You don't know the mercy of Jesus. You don't know the blood and the righteousness of our Lord. You don't know it. Because you have never taken ownership for your sin. You're so busy taking ownership of other people's sin. Or not ownership or blame. And so listen. Pray like this. Forgive me my sin, God. In the same way as I forgive my father and my husband's sin, my wife's sin. And listen, if you can pray that with a clear conscience, then God will give you forgiveness. He'll take away your bitterness. I promise you. I promise you. And then you will be what Martin Luther King said. You won't be a racist anymore you won't blame blacks you won't be a sexist you won't blame women or more likely men (laughs) how come nobody ever confesses the sexism of hating men just a thought that occurs to me george liked it (sighs) the blame game will be all over patricide will end And then we will be tender-hearted toward one another, forgiving others as Jesus Christ forgave us. And I'm telling you, the church will smell so sweet. Our homes will smell so sweet. People will love to luxuriate in our sofas. Even on our floors, if you don't have a sofa. Because the furniture of that home will be forgiveness and love and tenderness and meekness and humility and kindness. Kindness? Let's pray.